You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Oh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and just thrilled to be with you. I'm glad to, to share with you what I believe God has been speaking to us, what God is speaking to me. Uh, we've been talking uh, for a while about the kingdom, which is not a word um, that is used in our everyday language, um, not something that we talk about. We are a democracy, a republic. Uh, we vote, and we are proud of it. Uh, but in the, in the scriptures, we see Jesus, excuse me, talking so much about the kingdom, the dome over which God is king, that God is king over the earth. And we use this, the imagery of building. Coming up, we're having our partner party, as Dory said. And the, the imagery, the thought, as we talk about the kingdom, as we talk about advancing, is building. That God is building his church, Jesus declares. And, and we want to be a part of that. Well, Jesus went around declaring the kingdom of heaven. Uh, when you read the Gospels, when you read what Jesus is preaching, what Jesus is saying, he talks a lot about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. He declares it. He, he goes around revealing what the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, in the scriptures, we see heaven and earth described as, as two separate um, spaces, but not originally. In Genesis, they were, they were united. They were one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and we read of Adam and Eve walking with God, how they communed with God. But then a, a dramatic shift happened when, when Adam and Eve chose to, to disobey, chose to do things their way, chose to be in charge over their life. And we see heaven and earth become separate spaces throughout, throughout creation, throughout, throughout the, the, the Bible. And, and we look toward uh, what it says in the book of Revelation for a new heavens and a new earth. And we see that, that although heaven and earth are, are seemingly separate, that in the person of Jesus, they come together. That, that Jesus is the one coming together. In Colossians 1, it says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself because everything has been broken through our decisions, through us, through our life. Things have been broken. Relationships have been broken. The world has been broken. We have been broken. But God is reconciling everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And, and John tells us in John 1.14, John tells us that Jesus made his home among us, that he made his dwelling among us. And the word that is, there, that is used there is a, is a strange word from the Old Testament referring back to the tabernacle, the temple, and how Jesus is the space where heaven and earth exist, where heaven and earth are together. And Jesus goes around and he, he brings heaven to earth. He does that through his teaching. He does that through his, through his ministry. He does that through healing. He does that through forgiving. He does that through his words, through his actions. That Jesus brings heaven. That he is, John declares, he is the temple, the tabernacle. If we look at the temple of Moses, or, or, or excuse me, the tabernacle of Moses, because he had a tent, or the temple of Solomon, because he had a lot of money, Moses did. Moses had some resources too, but we see these spaces throughout the, throughout the scriptures, the Old Testament, where God comes and he dwells among his people. And then in Jesus, we see this permanent dwelling where Jesus takes on, a, a, takes on flesh and blood, becomes a man and dwells among us, and then goes around declaring the kingdom. This is good news for us. 
that we get to experience the kingdom of heaven in the person of Jesus, and then we get to be a part of that plan. I'm getting off my notes a little bit. John, 1, John 14, 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that anyone who believes in me, this is, this is a challenging statement. Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. And so as, as we read this passage, we read other passages, we see that Jesus went around bringing heaven to earth. But then now we get to be a part of, of bringing that kingdom into our world. That we get to reveal the kingdom, as, as Paul says, that we are citizens of heaven. Last week, uh, Greg talked about um, finding somebody to walk with. You remember that? He says, find somebody that you can, you can share your struggles with. Find somebody that you can walk with. Find somebody that you can encourage. And as he was speaking, I, I thought of James chapter 5. James chapter 5, he writes, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. We have a role to play. We have a lot of roles to play. We have a role to play with each other. And I'm always challenged by this passage in the book of Matthew where Jesus says, Matthew writes, he, speaking of Jesus, said to them, said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, and blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. He changes his name from Simon to Peter, which, which is the literal word rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. On Jesus is the rock. He is the cornerstone. But we are also stones in God's, in God's in building. That He is building his church with us. And, and Peter is one of those rocks. And then verse 19, this is, the, this, is the, this is a phrase that challenges me, that kind of just stretches my thinking. Verse 19, Jesus says, And I will give you, I believe speaking to his disciples, speaking to us, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I just wanted to talk about this for just a second, because I'm going to give you what I think Jesus is saying. All right, this is, these are Justin's thoughts. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I think we have a role to play in each other's lives. That we aren't the ones who forgive sin. Jesus, God, is the one who forgives sin. But we can declare that forgiveness to others. That when we speak to others, when, when, when you share your struggles with someone else and they declare God's thoughts over you, it has the power to free you. Now, we could go straight to Jesus. We believe that he is the, he is the mediator, that we don't have to go to somebody else. But isn't it great to hear a, a vocal voice say, Jesus forgives you, you're forgiven. That we have this ability to speak to one another, to declare over each other the truths of Scripture, declare over each other what God has to say. That's an incredible gift and power that we have. If you, if you don't have somebody that you're, that you're sharing life with, that you're sharing your struggles with, find somebody to say, this is what I'm struggling with, and, and let, let's speak life, let's speak truth, let's speak Scripture over each other. We, we need that. Well, last week we started, and I want to continue talking about obstacles to seeing the kingdom advance. There, there are things that hold us back. Last week, Greg talked about sin, and I think that's an obvious one. 
Sin keeps us from advancing. Sin keeps us from building. Sin keeps us from, from stepping into all that God has. Well, I want to talk this morning about our mindset, the way that we think, our mindset. I read a book recently by Jim Quick, and he describes mindset as our deeply held beliefs, attitudes, and assumptions we create about who we are, how the world works, what we are capable of and deserve, and what is possible. And I would add to that our beliefs about God, our mindset is made up of what we believe about God, what we believe about the world, what we believe about what's possible, our, our attitudes, our beliefs. Our mindset affects our world. The way that we think affects how we act. What we believe affects how we think. And our, our behavior, what we do, is impacted by our beliefs. And when we talk about this as a church with um, Restore and Restoring the Foundations, we talk about identifying things that are not godly beliefs, ungodly beliefs that we have over ourselves, identifying those and replacing those with true statements. And I talked a couple weeks ago about lies, L-I-E, limiting ideas expressed, how there's limiting ideas that we have about ourselves or about God or about our world that God wants to say, is that a good thought? Do we, we want to exchange that for something? Well, our, our mindset, the way that we see the world, the way that we see God, it gets oftentimes shaped at a very young age. That from a very young age, we are being shaped, and, and often it's shaped. And have you ever had someone in your life that you compared yourself to? I know that's a generic statement, but at a young age, was there somebody in your life that you just constantly compared yourself to? Well, I, I uh, for the first nine years of my schooling career, or actually for about nine years of my schooling career, was here in this building, over on the other side of the building. I attended New Testament Christian Academy. I think we called it something else at some point, Messina. Uh, we called it a number of things, but I went to school here. And from kin kindergarten to 12th grade, there was about 80, you can help me, mom, 80 kids from kindergarten to 12th grade. And so there was only, I think in my class, there was about five or six of us in my class. And we had a basketball team called the NTCA Eagles. <laughs> Somebody's got a, letter, a Letterman jacket somewhere. I've seen it. We had, we had a basketball team. And just picture kindergarten through 12th grade, 80 kids. So there's not a lot of representation. Basically, if you wanted to play basketball, you were on the team. And I wanted to play basketball, and I was on the team. Now, a couple things about me. I grew later. I grew a couple inches after high school. Dory's laughing because she probably remembers. I was kind of short. Well, I played basketball for like three or four years. Josh, you would not be impressed. I played basketball for about three or four years, but I played basketball. So my mindset when I was playing basketball was, the truth was, is I never actually played. <laughs> they never put me in. Maybe he'd put me in for like 30 seconds once in a while, and man, I'd go in and it would just be a haze. But I never actually played, and so I would ride the bench for three seasons, four seasons, however long it was. I'd ride the bench, and... And that was, that created a mindset in me, an identity in me. And I realized later in life that I was playing on the same team as people that were about five years, six years older than me, about twice the size of me. <laughs> I later became bigger than most of them, actually all of them, I think. But at that time, playing basketball, I was just this runt. Now, I didn't see myself from that perspective then. I saw myself from that perspective now. But also, during that time, was my friend Nathan Wells. 
And Nate was the same age as me, but he was a phenom. <laughs> he knew he could play. And he could play with kids that were five, six, seven years older than him. So when I compared myself to Nate, I was just like not measuring up. And, and I would compare myself to Nate in my schoolwork. And I got A's, but he also got A's. Not only could he play basketball, but he could also get an A. And it, I just constantly compared myself. And don't we do that? That we compare ourselves to others? That we, our mindset is developed oftentimes, and we carry that for a long time. I found this quote by Albert Einstein. He says, everybody is a genius, but if you judge fish by its, by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. I, I, I now recognize some of the God-given gifts and talents that he's put in me and my abilities and my contribution. But when I compared myself at that young age to kids that were six years older and I was trying to play basketball with them, I felt pretty stupid <laughs> and, and carried that with me for a long time. You know, what, what Einstein calls genius, what John Lewis, Representative John Lewis, calls the divine spark in every human being, and what Moses calls the image of God in all of us, that we all are unique, and we all are created, and we all have amazing potential. We all have God's imprint on us and have something to offer. The curious thing about, about children, that, that kids naturally think creatively, my, my son came downstairs yesterday morning. He says, can I make pancakes? And my wife has really helped me um, because if, if, if it were up to me, our house would not have permanent markers or markers. You would not be able to put your fingers on the windows. A dog wouldn't ride in the car so its nose wouldn't touch the window. There would be a number of things that we wouldn't have in our home, but my wife has mellowed me out a bit. And so she teaches our son how to make things, and I just sit in the living room, and my 10-year-old son goes and makes pancakes. And he's talking, and he's flipping the pancakes, and he got a few wrong, and they were a little bit of a mess, but he was doing pretty good. And he's got this stack of pancakes almost ready, and he says, Dad, what if I take this, this one that's not done yet, and I flip it on top of the others, and all the stuff goes over all the rest of them? <laughs> he thinks outside the box. <laughs> And he goes, that wouldn't be very good, right? Like, no, that probably wouldn't be very good. Kids naturally think divergently. They think on their own. We know this. We, we talk about things that kids say or just the, the naturalness that kids have just to think about things in ways that, that marvel adults. They're motivated by curiosity. One study that, I, that, I, that I've read about talks about how 95% of children before the age of 12 think outside the box, they think creatively. And that same study said that by the age of 12, 95% of children think convergently, that they solve problems through conformity and standardization. That somewhere in our development, we start just molding to those around us, and whatever that is, whether it's our education system or our parents, or if you had me as a parent, or, or whatever it is, we start to like lose our free thinking lose our creativity. There was a study done, started in, started in 1968 by uh, George Land and Beth Jarman. They worked for NASA and eventually for Head Start. And as NASA was getting its, getting its start, they're looking, how can we identify geniuses so that we can send more rockets up to the moon, so that we can do more? And this study looked at 1,600 
three to five-year-olds. So they started with 1,600 three to five-year-olds and then tracked them for a number of decades. And they found that with their, with their test, that among five-year-olds, 98% scored at a genius level. Among 10-year-olds, and this is as they get older, 30% scored at a genius level. 15-year-olds, 12%. Adults, 2%. <laughs> what happened? Mindset, life, ungodly beliefs, lies, trying to fit in, comparing yourself. Something happens to us as we age. We don't have a a lot of information about Jesus as a child, but there is this really interesting story in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, we we get a, a brief glimpse into the childhood of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse uh, 41, right here, Luke writes, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, like, like you do. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, 12 years old. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. When he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, and this gives me great hope as a parent, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Not, I'm so sorry for leaving you. (laughs) Why have you done this to us? That's emotion coming out. Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And Jesus says, but why why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? There's a whole lot here. I love this, the phrase, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking them questions. You know, it doesn't say that he was unpacking the truths of the universe. And maybe he was a little bit, but specifically Luke writes that they're amazed by his questions and his answers, it says, but by his thinking. And this is a time when, in, in, in the temple and in, and in also elsewhere in Greek at the time, in Greece at the time, how this is not a place for children. <laughs> normally it's like, get out of here. We're, we're talking about big things, but something about Jesus intrigued them, and they were amazed at his thinking. They were amazed at his questions. And, and I love even just thinking about Jesus being a person who asks questions. So often Jesus is asked a question and responds with a question because he's trying to get us to think. <laughs> He's leading us. He's not just giving us the right answer. Because I found when I just give the right answer, somebody repeats it back to me, but they really think about it. And the religious leaders are, are amazed by his questions. And then he says to his mom, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? 
that at a, at a very young age, Jesus was very clear on his identity and his purpose. And he was also obedient and went with his mom and dad and, and went and obeyed. And we, we, we see some, some passages about that as well. But he's very clear at a very young age. And I, and I think that it's amazing when you ask kids what they want to do or when you let them unpack how they think, that they, they can come up with some pretty amazing stuff. I know, I know my son, Asher, that he, he told us years ago, I think he was nine or ten years old, that he wanted to work for NASA. And we're like, oh, you want to be an astronaut? He's like, no. Do you know that there's people who just stare at the same spot in the universe, in the, in the heavens, and they, and they look at one area, and that's all they do their whole life? I said, I didn't know that. He goes, that sounds awesome. <laughs> He's just so amazed, and he has this clear purpose. And I don't know if he's going to work for NASA. I'm going to do everything I can to help him get chase, chase that down. But kids, uh, they have, they're, they're connected to their identity and able to free, think freely. And then life just beats them up a little bit, and our, their mindset gets, gets shaped. We see also this in, in 1 Samuel, another story of a, of a young man. A lot further over than I thought. First Samuel chapter three it says, "Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli." And we get a little bit of context here. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli—this is the, the adult, the priest, the, the high priest. The priest of God. One, one night Eli, was, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel, the young boy Samuel, was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. And suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down. Again, and if someone calls again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, your servant is listening. I find this, this story quite, quite fascinating. The Samuel, it says, Samuel doesn't yet know God. And yet, he hears him. He's open to him. There's something about his posture. There's something about the way that he sees reality that he is open to hearing in such a way that he hears and responds. It doesn't quite get it right at first. But then it's also the contrast between the adult priest, the one who's supposed to represent God to the nation. It says that in those days, there wasn't a lot of visions or there wasn't God didn't speak. God wasn't being heard that Samuel or Eli wasn't hearing 
God's voice regularly. But Samuel hears God's voice. I, I, I often wonder, is it us that doesn't hear? Or is God not speaking? I think he's always speaking. We see that in Scripture. But it's us that, need, that has to have the posture of being able to hear. Are our hearts open? Are we postured? Are you postured to respond to God? The posture that Jesus asks us is to have that of a little child. In Matthew chapter 18, it was about that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Talking about the kingdom, who's going to be the greatest? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Trying to un un unpack, trying to wrestle with what is Jesus asking of us? What is it about children that Jesus wants us to adopt? What's the mindset of a child that Jesus says you have to have? He says, first of all, that unless you turn from your sins and become like a little child, it's that responsiveness, it's that trust, it's that innocence, it's that posture. Jesus picks that child up and puts him on his lap, and that child is just sitting there and doesn't know what, what's going on, hasn't been beat down by life, and is just open to what Jesus has to say. You know, every, every development, and I, I listened to a message recently by Erwin McManus, and he talks about, I found it funny, he talks about every development um, of human beings is connected to curiosity. And we know that when you have a newborn baby, when, when somebody asks to hold your baby, you say, support the head, because at first their, their head is just kind of bobbling there. I remember when my, when my daughter, my firstborn, was, was born, that Don Curry used to call her Justin Bobblehead, because her head, her head was kind of bobbling all over the place. Support her head. Support a baby's head. Then eventually, the baby starts to, to track and starts to get curious. It starts to look and turn its head to sounds and turn its head towards, towards the voice of its mom and dad. And we see curiosity driving human development. And eventually a child sits up because it wants to, wants to see what's, what's going on. And eventually get, get on those legs and, and start to walk. How the development of children, the development of human beings is driven I, I propose, by curiosity. And isn't it interesting that every child that's ever tried to walk has fallen? And that pain and that fall does not keep that child down. <laughs> but still there's that determination, there's that drive, there's that curiosity, there's that thirst for life. There's Why is it that every child crawls to where you don't want them to crawl? <laughs> there's that cupboard that doesn't have the latch in my, in my, in my house that, that doesn't close all the way, and kids are just attracted to that cupboard. <laughs> but we're just curious and just get out there and, and try and explore. There's something about, about children that are fearless, reckless at times, determined. And Jesus says, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Paul tells us, he writes, he writes in the scriptures, that we must have the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, for who 
<clears throat> Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. In John, Jesus says, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sins and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. In verse 13, But when the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring glory, bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Paul later writes in 1 Corinthians that no one can know a person's thoughts except the person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. I shared this a couple weeks ago. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. In verse 16, he repeats, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things. We understand God's thoughts, for we have the mind of Christ. That's the declaration over you by Paul. And Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he will speak to you. He will guide you. He will teach you. He will convict you. And then we have this admonition in Romans chapter 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think, it says in the New Living. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We have to have the mind of Christ to be a part of his kingdom. We have to try to unpack and, and try to wrestle with what does it look like to become like a child to Jesus, become like a child to God. To have that innocence, that trust, that determination. We need to change our mindset. Jesus, through his life, through his teaching, through everything about him, he paints a picture of humanity and the kingdom that pulls us into the future. And we have the opportunity to ask ourselves every day, will we follow him? Will we live like he lived? Will we do what he said to do? Will our hearts be open? Will our minds be open when he speaks? Will we be receptive? Will we get up when we fall? Will we pick ourselves up again? Will we continue to follow him? We're going to receive communion this morning. You know, in, in following Jesus, one of, the, one of the first things that we can do, and Dory talked about this, and we're going to celebrate it in a couple of weeks and, and do it together, is water baptism that Jesus said to, to us, to his disciples, to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, and, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul talks about how in baptism that we identify with Jesus through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, through his, li through his life, his continued life, that we get to follow Jesus. We get to think like Jesus. We get to have the mind of Christ, receive the Holy Spirit, be challenged by him. Be open to change. Think like a child. Invite the, the folks that are going to come up and help with, with communion and the worship team to come on up. And in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read this twice, but I'm going to I want you, I want you to hear it just in your seats. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is writing about what we're about to do. 
And he says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, speaking of the bread, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again and again, that we don't celebrate this act of communion. We don't eat these little cuts of bread and, and this little cup of juice because there's something magical about the form. We do this to remember. And we do this to do it in life. That as Jesus' body was broken, as Jesus' blood was poured out, as Jesus took on our sin and offered forgiveness, offered that righteousness, that right standing that Greg talked about last week, that we get to break our bodies and spill our blood for other people, that we get to give our life for the world around us. I think there's that double meaning there, that we aren't just supposed to come on Sunday and sing some songs and hear a message and, and do an act, but it becomes a part of who we are in every part of our life. That as we adopt the mind of Christ, as we have that mindset, that we step into what God has for you to do. That each of us has a unique role and talent and gift and ability and calling. God has something that he is, he is asking you to do that only you can do. You don't have to be, I don't have to be like Nate Wells. He's still a good friend. But he's doing his part and I'm doing mine. I invite you to stand with me. The worship team's gonna sing and, and invite you to come and, and grab, a, grab a piece of bread and grab a cup. And we're gonna take this together in a few moments. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you, God, for your gift to us. God, that you poured out your life for us, but then you invite us into life with you to receive your forgiveness, to walk in newness, to receive your mindset. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.